Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV pilot's license flight number seven with service to Newport, California, AKA the Orange County, AKA the OC. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and make sure in case of turbulence to place your puka shell necklace over your own neck before placing one around the neck of someone around you. <laughs> Welcome to the TV Pilots <laughs> License. My name is Jeff Curvis, uh, and I'm joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. Boys, welcome to the OC. How y'all doing? Welcome, welcome to the to podcast, podcast, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, for we those, this is how it's done in Orange County. <laughs> For those who are not sure uh, what episode or what TV show we're doing, um, (laughs) welcome to the OC. This week, we're going to be talking about the OC. uh, But for those who are joining us for the first time, Max, I'd love to have you tell everyone what this podcast is all about. Uh, Normally, we shout at you a little bit less, but here at TV Pilots (laughs) License, we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of the most famous and infamous TV shows. Uh, We figure out why these pilots work, whether or not they're effective, and if we recommend you to keep watching them. So go back. We've got a bunch of episodes available wherever you stream your podcasts. Uh, And if you're here for the first time, welcome aboard. And Rich, you know, we watch these shows. We have a lot of questions, but I always feel like you come in with something a little bit extra. Do you have a, a question for us that's really just on the top of your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, for someone who actively avoided this show when they were 13 years old, I'm going to chalk that up to toxic masculinity. Why? What is your own connection to the show? Why are we doing this? And, uh, and you know, where is the OC in your heart? Wow. What a question, Rich. Um, I would say that Yesterday evening was the first time I ever watched a second of The O.C. Um, But it is not the first time that I've had a connection to this show. I think we're going to talk about Phantom Planet. um, But I think everyone in their right mind who was around 13 at that point in time knew California, the song. They played it almost every bar mitzvah I went to. For, like, someone wanted to play the OC song. Whoa. And I heard Phantom Planet. So when I was watching this last night and my wife was like, how do you know this song? I was like, how do you not know this song? (laughs) (laughs) This is is the theme song to a show that I've never watched before. So that's that's my connection. Yeah, I definitely wrote this show off when it aired in real time. I don't think that I had the capacity to really see it for what it was which is absolute brilliancy from start to finish um i i love this show full disclosure i have seen every episode i've seen this pilot like four or five times on its own i remember years ago when i was getting ready to move to la i had a friend of mine who was an actor and screenwriter and he was like you need to watch the pilot episode of the oc and i was like no 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 you, you come on he's like no 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 trust me you need to watch the pilot episode. <laughs> and we like ended up sitting on his couch and watching two more after that. I was I was hooked, and then I didn't watch it again for like seven years. <laughs> and then I finally binged the entire thing. Uh, I'm so excited to talk about a show that is such a moment in time, a moment in pop culture, uh, just how influential this show is in both like scripted TV and other genres as well. Uh, I'm, I'm amped. Let's dive into this. 
Rich, I want to just say one thank you for that question. But in order to get a really great answer to that question, yeah. I think we need a little bit of an outside perspective. Maybe someone... Yeah. Wait, who... Unfortunately, yeah, none of us were the target demographic of this show, which is a teenage girl in 2003. Wait, are you guys uh, telling me you guys have our first surprise guest of the show? Well, I, well second, we have been blessed with the president of NBC before. Yeah, I know. <laughs> correct, correct, yes. God guys, bless. Guys, it, this one's on Fox. I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> oh, thank oh, you. Good. All right. Well, Max, do you mind bringing in our special guest? Yeah, uh, so I'm really excited. We have an expert on the subject of OC fandom. Uh, she was, in fact, a preteen in 2003 let's give it up for my wife mary kate <laughs> yeah, yeah mary kate welcome Hi, to guys. the podcast mary kate mary kate thank you so much i uh as you may know i am extremely passionate about this topic um, so i was an 11 year old living in suburban ohio when this premiered in 2003 and i am not being dramatic when i say this show changed my life <laughs> okay did that start with the pilot were you like did you see oh, the trailer 100%. for this and you were like um day one i'm in this was the first like flashy adult primetime soap that i was into from the beginning um and i was completely hooked it showed a glamorous lifestyle where cold winter did not exist <laughs> and you did not have to drive at least 10 hours to get to the nearest ocean so wednesdays at 9 p.m were sacred to me and many teenage girls elsewhere uh but to prove my point i wrote down a few ways the show was a complete cultural reset this is amazing number one Misha Barton. Misha Barton is our Helen of Troy. She was actually... So she was actually 16 when this started, and everybody else was in their 20s, and she became like an overnight it girl. She was on the cover of every magazine, she was at every fashion week, and unfortunately she was the hottest paparazzi target um, once the show came out. That's a topic for another podcast. Uh, so she was a true trendsetter in fashion and beauty as Misha Barton and as Marissa Cooper. I remember, and when we were rewatching the pilot, it, it came back to me. I wanted her hairstyle <laughs> so bad. It's not too late. I wanted, I wanted her hair it. so badly. In you. Second, the music. So starting with the theme song, the music introduced, or the show introduced so many, uh, indie bands to the mainstream culture okay and it actually kind of helped i believe it helped usher in the indie band pop era Ooh. um i personally had an oc mixtape that i picked up from my local uh, american eagle store i'm trying not to get like farther from the pilot but the, it starts off a little bit with the pilot and then just goes from there music is truly like another character in the show um Another main character of the show is just Southern California as a culture. Ooh, so we get some really... Sex in the City uh, fifth character. <laughs> yes, <five. laughs> yes. Um, so this ushered in like the glam of Southern California outside of like LA and Hollywood, a la Melrose Place. 
Um, so teenagers like me were just completely obsessed with the idea of like living on the beach, driving around in convertibles or topless Jeeps and dating men that looked like Luke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who very clearly looks like a villain. He looks like he, if someone <laughs> oh, he ordered like a, a villain. Hollister model or yeah. a model for sure. Um, <laughs> But this was so big that MTV created the uh, Laguna Beach, the real OC. Wow. And then that ushered in a completely like different genre of reality TV. You have Laguna Beach, the real OC, you have the real housewives of the OC. And then off of Laguna Beach, you have the hills. Off of the hills, you have the city. I could go on. Oh, my God. So this was just huge. It like really set off um, its own little like niche in pop culture. Um, personally, this show really jump-started my dream of living in Southern California, and I learned from this show about half a season in that Newport Beach is a real place. What? Okay. <laughs> I guess this is, I guess 2003 is still on the upswing of Google, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, and why would I know? I was from Columbus, Ohio. You're right, you're right. Um, it's so all Ohio four. rich. It's all of fantasy. It's <laughs> all, always Ohio. Always has been. <laughs> always has been. So this one is probably the most important one for me. Um, I can curse on this podcast. Yes, you can. It's encouraged. Seth motherfucking Cohen. (laughs) He made nerds sexy. Um, Although I will say he gets a leg up because he's like a nerd, but he has good taste in music. He can sail boats. He skateboards, Mm -hmm. which you don't see in the pilot, but I will tell you, ladies, he skateboards (laughs) and he's funny and he's like good looking, objectively good looking. Yeah, Um, that's an unfair thing that Adam Brody has over all nerds. I have one note here that's like. Okay, is the only reason that he's like a social pariah or nerd in this show because he's a brunette? Is that, is that <laughs> the only reason? It's like he's not even an indoor kid because he no, sails. He sails. I don't know. I just had He to wants to go to Tahiti by himself. He's like, that's the hottest thing. He is the love of my life. Uh this had such an impact on me that I married a nice Jewish boy. I was just boy. about to say. I was about to say this tracks. <laughs> Who with the, is an Adam Brody lookalike. <laughs> this also tracks with the Adrian, uh, the Entourage episode where we think Max just looks like every actor from 2004. <laughs> Let me tell you, 11-year-old me is very proud of a 30-year-old me. Oh my gosh. Well, and then... Go I, ahead have, I have one more. Go for <laughs> it. Um, this one is a, this one's a reach, but to some extent, it influenced girl boss culture because Kirsten mm-hmm. is the breadwinner as mm-hmm. the VP of a real estate development firm. Now, she it, the real estate development firm is headed up by her father. You know, so nepotism rears its ugly head once again. Uh, but modern king Sandy Cohen is completely <laughs> okay not making the most money as the couple. Um, little side note, as an adult watching this today, I still find Seth Cohen the most attractive because love is forever, but <laughs> he is qu- followed closely behind by daddy Sandy Cohen. Oh, Esquire I love Peter Yes, yes, yes. Love thank Peter you. Gallagher. Boy. Um, so those are some of the cultural resets. That being said, I would like to take this opportunity to let the creator, Josh Schwartz, know I will be billing him for <laughs> the following things. Um, number one, therapy bills for the emotional damage caused by this show convincing me that I could fix bad boys. So 
that will be coming. It will be itemized. Uh, more, more therapy bills for making me attracted to skater boys. Now, listen, oh, I'm Josh. a fair person. I'm a fair person. So I will graciously split that invoice between him and Avril Lavigne. Okay. Um, $35. Well, he was a skater boy. It's not her fault. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also going to bill him $35 for ripping my favorite pair of American Eagle jeans when I purposely fell off a skateboard in seventh grade to get the attention of one of those said skater boys. It did not work, and I lost my favorite pair of jeans. Um, And lastly, I will be billing for pain and suffering for contributing to the popularity of low-rise jeans and very skinny women. (laughs) That is is unfortunately on the rise again. Uh, We have some unfortunate news from Julia Fox over the last several months. That she is trying to reignite the low-rise jean trend of 2003, which I am so not on board with. So yeah, not aboard with. Who is that for? We're dealing with enough. Please. <laughs> yes, women have been through enough this year. We are not doing full of We've worked so hard. <laughs> We've worked so hard to get rid of them. Please don't bring them back. Well, MK, um, any parting words? Any I, final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about this show. Honestly, I could write a thesis, but I will just encourage anybody listening, if you have never seen this show or you've only seen the pilot, please Please watch at least the first season. It's so good. The first season is perfect, like, soap opera storytelling. It's just unbelievable. I had it on DVD back when you bought seasons on DVD. It's, it again, it completely changed my life. So thank you for letting this (laughs) teenager write a five-paragraph essay about (laughs) the OC. A teenage girl from 2003, everyone. Yes, thank you. Thank you, teenage girl. (laughs) Well, Max, you missed our special guest, unfortunately. Uh, The girl from 2003, really a gem of a human being. She wrote us five paragraphs worth of notes about the show. Do do we even have to keep doing this? Should we just go get a beer or something? (laughs) Have we we sold our audience on watching the show I think we might have a lawsuit based off of some of the damages she's seeking. (laughs) Um... But won't be the first, won't be the last. For those who couldn't get really a picture of what this show was about, based off of our special guest's uh, description, let me give you a little bit of a brief synopsis. Um, a troubled youth becomes embroiled in the lives of a close-knit group of people in the wealthy upper-class neighborhood of Newport Beach, Orange County, California. Short, simple, and sweet. But Max, I know there's a lot more that's gone on behind the scenes in making this show happen. Yeah, we're about to get into some deep water, boys. Ooh, <laughs> better uh, you better hop on summer breeze because uh, oh, this no. the, the weather's getting choppy. Summer breeze makes it feel high. Oh my god, you're gonna get god. a suit, please. <laughs> by, by who? We, Seals and Crofts. We, we need the accents. Famously litigious. <laughs> there's some uh, litigious. So, the OC, we're going to take it back to August 5th, 2003 for today's pilot episode, uh, written by one of the most prolific showrunners and TV writers of this millennium, a gentleman by the name of Josh Schwartz. Uh, so Schwartz started writing what would become the OC script while attending film school at USC. He won the Nicholson Award in screenwriting for a script called Providence, uh, an autobiographical sort of like teen drama about his senior year living in uh, like living in Rhode Island. Um, the prize gets revoked 
uh, because he's only a sophomore, and you had to be at least a junior to win the Nicholson Award. Shove uh, it, USC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fight on. Um, so, like any good collegiate screenwriter, uh, he decides to say, fuck the system. And using connections through his fraternity and one wow. of his fraternity brother's family members, he sells a feature spec script to Sony TriStar Pictures. Wow. That um, never gets made, but reports are he got a guaranteed 550k for the sale. So Schwartz does what any 21-year-old with a half a million dollars who just sold his first script does. Uh, he drops the hell out of USC. <laughs> um, Why he can afford? He can finally afford to go there. Oh he then he then sells his first TV pilot to ABC, a show called Brookfield, um, another teen drama. It doesn't get picked up. Uh, the following year, sells a script to Warner Brothers that also does not get picked up, a show called Wall to Wall Records. Uh, through his connection, though, with Warner Brothers, he beats a man by the name of Joseph McGinty Nickel, who you better know as Mick G. What? Um, Mick G wants to develop a show based on his own upbringing in Newport Beach through his new production company, Wonderland Sound and Vision. Uh, so Schwartz comes on to write this, like, teen drama. Originally, reports are they wanted to be more, like, 21 Jump Street-esque. Uh, but Schwartz is like, I don't really know 21 Jump Street. I know Cameron Crow characters and freaks yep. and geeks. Yep. So he essentially takes elements of his original screenplay Providence, takes, like, freaks and geeks elements, takes a little bit of that 21 Jump Street edge, looking at you, Ryan Atwood, and they create this show, The O.C., uh, it ends up selling to Fox, and at 26 years old, Josh Schwartz becomes the youngest ever creator of a network TV show. Damn. That's amazing. Uh, it doesn't sit well with Fox's, you know, old fogey boards. So they start bringing on some vets. People like Bob De Laurentiis become like a producer and guiding presence to Schwartz, taking on like a little bit of a mentorship role. Uh, McGee has to drop out of directing this to go do a little movie called Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Wow. So they bring... But he stays out as a producer throughout everything. Uh, this episode ends up being directed by a guy named Doug Lyman, who you may know at this point from Swingers and The Born Identity. He's going to do a ton of stuff throughout this century as well. Um, listen, all you have to do is have some fraternity brothers who have family connections at Sony TriStar, and you too could be the youngest ever showrunner of a network primetime show. Yeah, both of you have clearly let me down in that apartment. I am so sorry. I'm so <laughs> sorry to both of you. I've let you both down. Well, Max, let's... Uh, wow, that is amazing and also makes me feel like I've under-accomplished so much in my lifetime. Um, but Oh, Jeff, we all have. Yeah, no, that's true. Not all of us can be Josh Schwartz. With that background on the show, let's really just jump into this pilot and we start off simply with a carjacking that's that's how the easiest way i can put it um, as most good stories start so and holy shit this is like cinematic too there's like there's shaky cam there's cars crashing into each other like off the bat holy shit <laughs> i mean it was sort of wild because you're if you had not watched the show or watched a preview for the show we meet our character, our main, one of our main characters, or our perspective of this show, Ryan Atwood, um, and his brother, Trey, um, and they are just jacking a car blatantly in front of police, 
and without a care in the world. Um, we also get introduced to, so our special guest did do a good job of saying that Newport Beach was one of the other characters. <laughs> but I'd like to talk about the forgotten character of Chino. Of Chino. Uh, <laughs> which, you know... Wait, not... wait, we're doing West Side Story? <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as we um, this carjacking happens, the police catch the Atwood brothers nearly immediately. Um, the Atwood boys are at it again. Yeah, we're brought to a juvenile detention home, or center, excuse me, um, and we're introduced to one of our other characters, um, and I'll only introduce him as Daddy Sandy Cohen, played <laughs> by Peter Gallagher. Now, it's the brows. Yeah, it, it's... Law Daddy. There's so much happening where I just was like, yep, this does it for me. Um, Peter Gallagher just is this warm and welcoming character like literally 10 seconds of him just talking and saying like oh you know like i was from the bronx he's the first person we've had from the bronx who actually sounds like they're from the bronx let's like <laughs> make that clear on the podcast we're seven episodes in we've had multiple bronx characters none of them have sounded like peter gallagher does it's, it's crazy how much the bronx has come into these wildly random chosen uh pilot episodes have, have you guys ever heard the story about why peter gallagher signed on to do this show no uh, is it because he was trying to warm up for his character in mr deeds so he was <laughs> I think he was maybe the first person to sign on to this pilot. Like, it was him or Misha Barton, one and two. But he basically... There's a quote of his where he he describes, like, having to sign on to the show because he was called to it and how it was so relatable in a post-9-11 America. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, there's... <laughs> There's, there's this whole quote where it's, uh, and I wrote it down, obviously, um, <laughs> in that recently post 9-11 America, I read this script and thought it was outstanding. I thought this is exactly the right story to be telling at this point in time. It's about a family living in a not very embracing community, one that doesn't necessarily share all their values. They don't lose their sense of humor or their inclination to help. They still open their arms and embrace this outsider kid. And I thought that was powerful in an era with a kind of xenophobia, a kind of looking over your shoulder and getting small and angry, sort of creeping into the Patriot Act-fueled environment. This is supposed to kind of America. It just felt right. And it had a sense of humor. So wow. I do want to make a note, and Peter Gallagher would be so proud of all of us because we all watched this pilot on 9-11. Oh my God, you're right, we did. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you sent the calendar invite. We couldn't forget. <laughs> yeah. How else was I supposed to remember everything, Jeff? Are, are we getting the same things out of this that Peter Gallagher was evoking for the pilot? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're recording this podcast in a post-9-11 world right now. It was yesterday. I think one of the things that I appreciate about the Sandy Cohen character, you know, just like looking at this as a pilot, though, is he does a great job of giving exposition in a really short period of time. So mm -hmm. that we learn everything about Ryan Atwood all at once. Ryan is not really good at school, but he's very, very smart. Somet somehow, Sandy, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer. We maybe should have brought a lawyer onto the podcast. <laughs> but if you're in juvie, does a lawyer get access to your SAT scores? Because that was just something that Peter Gallagher just sort of stated randomly. And now I'm sit sitting here in pause being like, would Sandy Cohen have believed in me if he saw my SAT score? I, I could find it believable enough that he would have access to his both like juvenile detention records as well as his school records. 
Uh, but yeah, we get that real fun TV trope of like the troubled boy genius, Ryan Atwood. He's got some priors, but he's also in the 98th percentile on his SATs. Yeah, he would, Sandy Cohen would not have rescued me. He would have saw my SAT scores and said, uh, okay. <laughs> From this conversation, though, we also learned that Ryan Atwood is a, is a leftist hero. Uh, we've got DSA legend Ryan Atwood when he talks about uh, if he's going to go to college or not. Oh, and he's yeah. like, I, I read that Social Security is going to run out by the year 2025, which means people are going to have to work until they're 80. So I'm not planning on committing to anything too soon. <laughs> oh, my God. Hearing that now just was like such a depressing thing overall of just, God. Like, oh, God. Hot nihilism was so in vogue in 2003. That's like 90% of Ryan Atwood in this pilot, though, is just hot, brooding nihilism. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've tried to make that my brand in my 30s, and it's not it's not working very well. It's not no. going as well? <laughs> no, people want me to go back to work. <laughs> Brood harder, I don't know. <laughs> now, I do want to say, because, we're, okay, so we're getting past, we're getting into... Uh, some of the the juvie scenes and and getting into like a glimpse into Sandy Cohen's character, which is lovely, I would say. Um, right when they start, you know, for as cinematic as that very first part is, the carjacking scene is. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is so poorly lit, and I don't know if this is like it, it's extremely indicative of this like 2003 Fox sitcom or not sitcom, but TV show era where it's like. Uh, Another uh, example is 24, but everything is shot like it's Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee's sex tape. Like, it is so horribly lit. It's really terribly bright. It looks like the camera is not up to par for what the TV, uh, or maybe it is. This is what all TV looked like in 2003. But I think this I, is just that look of when you're shooting on the back lot and you've just got, like, the, the hanging gel lights mm-hmm. above you and your rooms don't actually have ceilings on them and you're just trying to create something that looks edgy but on a minimal budget i don't know jeff kervis is lit far better than this entire pilot right now look it's been it's been 19 years rich we (laughs) have more technology we we built ring lights as soon as sandy meets ryan and sort of sees that he's high potential um he gets him out of prison gets him a trial date we soon start to get a better picture of why Ryan might be the way he is. We meet his mom. We see that he's in a very broken home. Um, Sandy very kindly gives um, Ryan his number, his personal home phone number, which also not sure if that's a thing that lawyers do, but I've never met one that does that. Um, well, you've never met someone with 98 percentile SAT scores, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we went well, to a state school. Oh, hey, hey, be kind to our alma mater. <laughs> uh, but as soon as Ryan makes it home, he is just as swiftly kicked out of his home by his mom. He gets the shit kicked out of him by his uh, mom's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then, while that might not be the warmest welcome of all, we get the sweet, warm welcome of Phantom Planet singing California, Here We Come as God, Ryan's there, pay, doing the payphone. There are two specific bits of editing in this title sequence that I, I love so much. The first is the piano underscoring as he originally hops on mm-hmm. the bike and heads out of the house. Mm-hmm. 
But the second, and this is such a great example of like a director and a music supervisor and your editor all being on the same page to make something work, is the build and kick in of here we come as he's dialing Sandy Cohen. Mm -hmm. Like as he looks at the business card and picks the payphone back (laughs) up after thinking he's run out of options. It's like, oh, like, hell yeah, hell yeah. Like, here we come. We're going to the OC. Let's do this. It's It's a music video. I've also never seen a title sequence that doesn't stare, uh, like it doesn't interrupt the flow of the narrative at all either. It's not a separation whatsoever. It is fully within. This is really a pilot episode in the truest sense of the word in that you are just almost getting a proof of concept here. Um, There's definitely a lot of little details. Like if you go on to watch more of the show that change from the pilot to even like episode two and three, um, one of them being you get a title sequence. Yeah. But the way they do it in here, and Rich, you hit the nail on the head, like it doesn't interrupt the flow. You're using that little bit of time to even get more story time in there. It doesn't feel forced. Um, it's a really just pretty sequence of Ryan trying to figure out his next steps. And then lo and behold, the Beamer pulls up. <laughs> Daddy so, Sandy Cohen. <laughs> so and Daddy Sandy Cohen pulls up in his Beamer, and I personally exclaimed how the fuck is he affording a beamer on a public defender salary yeah ryan (laughs) says the same thing a moment later (laughs) and i was so i was so appreciative of ryan saying that and then we come to learn hey he's not the breadwinner this sounds like sandy does this as a passion but we do get to meet the rest of the cohen family in their beautiful mansion in newport beach you know, as we pulled up to this very much other sides of the other side of the tracks sort of situation, right? You come up, there's not only a mansion, there's a gate to enter the community. Um, we pull up to the house with this driveway that is bigger than Ryan's home. Um, and then there's just this beautiful, gorgeous house that looks out at Newport Beach itself. Um, like... As you saw that and as you just were watching sort of this juxtaposition for Ryan, what were you guys thinking? Because I I almost, it was beautiful to me in this sense of, and I like, I know that sounds ridiculous. We're talking about a pilot of TV show, but like, (laughs) this is an instance of taking that outsider perspective and like really exaggerating the concept of showing what privilege may look like to someone who has none. Yeah, the show does a really great job of putting you in Ryan Atwood's point of view. You really, in this early sequence, this first act at least, are following how he feels, what he's observing, uh, the way they show things. You're seeing it like you're an outsider, like maybe you shouldn't be on the grounds of this house too. Uh, And you really do wonder, like, is this person going to make it work in this new situation? Yeah, I also think that there is a... I think there's also kind of a, because he is a brooding nihilist, there is kind of a confirmation of like, yeah, this all seems extremely unfair. This is what I was expecting the world to be. And so he does seem to approach this as like a, this is nice, but I'm going back kind of thing. Like he still doesn't belong. You can see it. You can see it in his facial expression. Even in how he talks, because when Sandy leaves the BMW, he's like, hey, it's not as fun if, uh, the keys are still in the car and Sandy like literally is like, okay, cool. I'll leave the keys in the car and go and convince my wife that, uh, we have a house guest for the time being. Um, as soon as that happens, we're introduced to Kristen, 
uh, who is the brother Kirsten. Or Kirsten. Chris, Kirsten, excuse me. Um, we're introduced to get Kirsten. it right. <laughs> <laughs> we're introduced to Kirsten, who is definitely hesitant on the idea of having Ryan in her home, um, which is, you know, what you have to side with her a little bit, mm-hmm. right? She doesn't know what type of person Ryan is. She doesn't know what his background is. She purely knows the very little that Sandy has told her. Um, they're definitely in a community that keeping up appearances seems to be a little bit more um, important to some than being good human beings um, in this yeah. instance. Um, but after we do, after we meet that, Ryan is decides to go and uh, get a cigarette, and we meet uh, Misha Barton's character, Marissa Cooper. Oh boy! Jesus and, Christ! And do you get one of the most fake ass James Dean lines of all time, where Marissa asks, "Who are you?" and he replies, "Whoever you Whoever want, you me, to want me to be." And oh my like... God! The moment that cigarette touches his lips, a teen icon is born in real time. You, you are watching. Oh, for me, it was the carjacking. You're watching a starboard in this moment. Yeah, this is what I love to call, and I love watching TV shows and or movies and being like, "Oh, this is the monologue that got them the role," uh, mm-hmm. because it was so almost overly like rehearsed and like perfect. Like every single touch of the cigarette, every single way he looked at her, I could literally see a producer saying the lines off camera of, "Who are you?" And yep. the then, brooding <laughs> anger on I stole a car, crashed it. I'm obsessed. I, yeah. <laughs> like I am screaming at that line delivery. But we do meet Misha Barton. We do get to learn a little bit about or Marissa Cooper, who Misha Barton plays. We do get to learn a little bit more about who she is. Um, we come to find out that her father and uh, Kirsten at one point when they were kids had a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned that a little bit later, but we are playing up this lie throughout the episode that Ryan is the cousin, uh, from Boston. Um, and we go through that night pool. They, Ryan gets to sleep in the pool house all by himself. It's gigantic. Um, but then we get to meet the next morning, a very important character named Seth Cohen. Um, now Max, I don't know. If you heard what our special guests had to say, but let's just state the obvious that you look a lot like Seth Cohen. This could have been in there as some, as two people that attended your wedding, this could have been in her vows. <laughs> that is how sincerely, that is how sincerely Mary Kate feels about this. And, uh, and I a hundred percent get it. The Seth intro is excellent because you know, everything you need to by his posture body language and the first time he turns his head to the right to look at ryan entering the room you just have this kid who is hunched over i mean full uh scoliosis impacted uh, spine uh just jamming away at a video game controller not a care in the world Cereal bowl out, orange juice out, just vibing. Seth just Cohen, vibing. yeah, Seth Cohen reminded me of like most of my friends from high school, uh, which I say in the kindest of ways to those of my friends from high school who are listening to this. In that, like, we were all a bunch of dorks, but like, <laughs> uh, 
with that dorkiness aside, there is almost this like charm that's associated with it, right? Of like being very much aware of who you are and being a three-dimensional human being of sorts. And Seth, as a character, he he's almost like a little wrench thrown into everything we've seen in the show so far because the way he talks, the way he paces, it's so different from everything else up to that point. Like, if you take all of, like, the Sandy and Ryan scenes, take all the Ryan and Marissa scenes, and then all of a sudden, Seth is just ping-ponging off the walls, and it really it shows you, oh, like, this is not just what you saw in the first act. Like, there is more to this show than you think. Yeah, it it is really well done. Um, so while they're playing video games, um, Sandy comes and says, hey, you guys should go outside and do outside things. Suddenly we're sailing on a well, catamaran first, in the middle of the ocean. We, we cannot pass over Seth trying to teach Ryan how to play Grand Theft Auto and saying how fun it is because you can steal cars. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, what a great scene. Um, but now we're on a boat. Yeah, we are on a boat. They are sailing a catamaran on the ocean. We come to learn a little bit more about Seth. Like, he wants to sail to Tahiti all by himself. Um, He's got dreams. Yeah, he also wants to uh, make sure that his um, partner in crime will be Summer. Um, But who is Summer? We haven't met a Summer yet. She's not just a boat. She is the girl of Seth's dreams that he's never had the courage to talk to. Yeah, wow. that, uh, gosh, it it definitely who, made me a little bit gentlemen, sad. Gentlemen, who, who among us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who among us hasn't named a boat after someone who doesn't know they exist? Let, let he who is not pied for unrequited love. <laughs> so that brings an interesting question up, and I have an interesting question for you two, gentlemen. If you were a teenager... Uh, in high school and owned a small catamaran and given the rights to uh, name it whatever you please, what would you name your catamaran? This is Boat Talk with Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I'm 13. I'm probably naming it after someone from Jackass. (laughs) (laughs) The Ryan Ryan Dunn Express? I'm trying to think back on... uh... I'm trying to remember the 2003 Mets right here. I'm like, I don't know. I'd probably name a boat after like Elgardo Alfonso or something. <laughs> Glad to see that our priorities are very straight. Um, but I'm naming it after Misha Barton. I, I mean, that is that's very fair. <laughs> Misha Barton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye, Rich. Um, but we do. You know, after the sailing adventure, we find out a little bit more um, about this fashion show that is going on that um, yeah, Marissa... Yeah, fashion show fundraiser. Marissa's hosting. I would hate to not mention that Marissa's dad, who's played by Tate Donovan, whom I know as the voice of Hercules. Hell yeah. yeah. I fucking love that movie so much. <laughs> it's the best Disney movie. Um, it's not It's not TV pilot's license if Jeff Kerbis does not reference a Disney movie from his childhood. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so Tate Donovan's character um, is definitely in trouble with the SEC, but he's managing a lot of folks' money. Um, is that? Do they announce themselves as the SEC? No, but when they pan to the business card, it says Security On the business card, it says the Security Exchange Council. Um, But we get to go to the fundraiser itself. Um, 
sort oh, of this welcome to the like welcome to the city of Oz almost. Whoa, moment. whoa, whoa! You're gonna skip over a very big celebrity cameo, Jeff. Oh, that, I, I could not help but mention uh, the almost Mary Jane Watson, uh, almost Mrs. Rogers, Shailene Woodley. Playing Whoa. the teenage or uh, the little sister to Marissa Cooper. Yeah, she's twelve when they recorded this. Yeah, Shailene is little Caitlin Cooper. Shailene Woodley alert. Shailene Woodley alert for sure. Um, <laughs> now you could take us to the fashion show. So now, now we get to the fashion show. I do have to mention another cameo of a character actor that I love named Todd Sherry. He has one yes. line. He is the waiter. He is fantastic. And Todd Sherry, if you're listening to this, you're definitely a friend of the pod. <laughs> friend of the pod. <laughs> but we, it's sort of this Call me back, really Todd. amazing sequence of just seeing the rumor mill start. Ryan enters. He's this outsider coming into the Newport social scene of sorts. And just rumors start to spread. Suddenly he's from Seattle. He's from Boston. He's from Canada. Um, he's being talked to by every single woman there, regardless of age. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone wants to know the new mysterious stranger in Newport beach, but it's definitely a very much, you know, a fish out of water. Um, he's playing it cool. He goes to the bar. He tries to order a seven and seven. Um, which is it's, it's such like a grandma what an drink. Awful, what an awful drink! <laughs> yeah. uh, I I love the the Kirsten line right after though when she sees Ryan with the cocktail and she's like uh, she says I want my husband to be right about you and it's such a powerful line to me because she doesn't like take the drink she doesn't say anything forcibly to him it's just like I I believe in you too I feel like is the subcontext yeah. here. Um, and you see that you have her earlier moment where she makes the joke about putting away her jewelry and it's like, no, I'm going to get sheets and toothbrushes Mm -hmm. for the kids. Um, she's such a deeply caring individual and she does it in ways that maybe aren't super overt, but I, I love that moment because then a moment later you get this juxtaposition of Marissa's mom, Julie Cooper, where she's like gabbing with the Newport mom. She's like, well, Marissa wanted to wear Prada shoes, but I told her she had to wear the stiletto Manolas. Like, Jesus fucking Christ, Julie Cooper, come this is, on. This is where I get my most fish out of water watching this, where I just like don't understand what is happening at all, because... So Manolo Blahniks are... <laughs> um, Pause the podcast, I'm looking up shoes. All right, so uh, the... I get I get a little bit disconnected from this, and I can see a little bit where Ryan's coming from because uh, I didn't know that a fashion show fundraiser was even a thing outside of this particular uh, instance. Also, shout out to the actual shopping mall that sponsors this supposed uh, the supposed fundraiser, which is Fashion Island, uh, famously. Uh, a real mall in Newport Beach for for those paying attention and following at home. Uh, I, I just like it. It's it's like extremely Kardashian to me. They're like, yeah, we're having a fundraiser or or like Real Housewives or something like that. Um, it, the fundraiser is going to be a fashion show. The hell does that even mean? So the I think how it works is like they buy the outfits off of the people, oh, um, man. which is something. I, I would like to note that, you know, while this 
fashion show fundraiser is happening. Um, you know, Fox chose to show a bunch of teenagers in their underwear and also a a woman who just degrades a uh, young girl by saying that she hasn't gone through puberty yet. And maybe if she does, she doesn't have to wear Calvin Klein. Um, yeah, there, there's some edge there in this fashion show sequence. You you see, like, people in their underwear backstage. You see teens drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some are starting to get a little tipsy stealing champagne while Coop has already taken a whole bottle of vodka for herself. Goddamn right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really, like, I mean, nothing says 2003 network TV show than, like, some very crass body shaming of children. Yeah, I I will make mention also, we sort of skipped over a major character, but we'll Mm. talk about her. Uh, Summer Roberts, uh, whom the boat is named after, (laughs) we get introduced to her. Um, She instantly sees Ryan and is like, I've got to have him, but I'm going to play hot, cold, hot, which I was like, what sort of strategy is that? That's definitely something in the same sense that uh, that Ryan says, like, I'm whoever you want me to be. This is extremely like I watched a movie and I'm just going to ape this to somebody. Summer talks about flirting the way I talk about, like, healing a knee injury. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's going to she's going to rice him. Meanwhile, while the fashion show is happening, you know, Ryan's in the bathroom. He sees Jimmy Cooper uh go in start sobbing in the bathroom so he knows something is not good there but after the entire fashion show we get the after party um and one of the lines that just made me almost puke was because we did such a good job hosting the fashion show my parents uh, or someone's parents let us have their beach their house. Beach oh my god! And so I, everybody oh. piloted the jeep with the top off, blast swig swig by the all American rejects. Oh, That's all rules. Beautiful. And we're all going to Holly's beach house. I I love when they enter the party. You get the juxtaposition between Seth and Ryan both using the line of a uh, welcome to the dark side. Uh, Seth uses it the first time when they go to the fashion show and then Ryan flips on him when they're at like the rich kid party. I think it's just so funny like seeing the dichotomy of these two characters. There were parts of that party that I will admit I went to a party or two in high school. Ooh. Ooh. Um, brag but, more. But like, oh yeah, B- big brag. Um, but <laughs> The most relatable guy at this party is the kid who shouts, fresh keg, everybody get naked, and the next time we pan to him, he's passed out yeah. Sharpie all over his face. I mean, there was... Because we were all that kid in front of each other at some point in college. This reminded me a lot of, you know, the scene from um, 10 Things I Hate About You, where we see, like, the different cliques almost, like, so quickly, one after the other. We see the people who are into coke, which... Wow. This entire thing could have been a pop punk music video. This entire episode. We see the kids who are into pot. We see the kids who are into really heavy drinking. We see the one guy who can't handle his alcohol. We see (laughs) see a threesome in a bathtub. Yes, which, (laughs) which, you know, if you heard the opening to the podcast, I was really debating of make sure to knock on the bathroom door so you don't interrupt the threesome (laughs) into the bathroom. Um, but there, it was really just a very interesting scene. We see Luke, who is Marissa's boyfriend, um, probably messing around with another girl um, at the party. So we know things are a little bit off there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's just there's so much going on at the party. Um, I like that moment really quick though, where Ryan sees Luke put his hand on the small of the girl's back and take her away when he's flirting with her. Because at the fashion show, there's sort of a, a flip situation where Marissa makes eyes at Ryan when she's going down the catwalk, and you see Luke acknowledge Ryan, and you just you're setting up this rivalry mm-hmm. without the two of them ever speaking to each other. I think the show's really effective at the little glances and things that it creates between characters without overtly saying, this is how I feel about you. There's so much foreshadowing. Yeah, they do really an excellent job of just establishing how other characters are going to feel about Ryan without them even speaking in many instances. Um, So as soon as this party is going on, Summer starts flirting with Ryan. Um we get to the point where Seth sees Ryan and Summer just talking and is instantly offended uh, to the point of storming off, um, which he's very drunk. We'll give him, you know, his pardons on that. But then the beatdown of a cent- of the century goes on. Um, and Seth gets called some really rough 2003 insults at this party, mm-hmm. too. Uh, Luke gives him a very rude suck at queer when he first sees him. Hello, 2003. And then on the beach, he gets called a, both a geek and a suck ass before getting his <laughs> ass beaten. Um, it sounds I, like a, I, fake, uh, a fake insult from The Simpsons. What is a suck ass? So, uh, well, apparently it's what Seth Cohen is that gets his ass kicked. So I sent you guys this statistic, but Ryan was punched in the face for the first time five minutes into this pilot. And then Ryan threw his first punch 32 minutes into the pilot, which yeah. which leads us to the moment that changed time, history, oh. space itself. Oh. Max, Max, what, do you, what are you referring to? Three, two, one. Welcome, Welcome, to, Welcome to, to the OC, bitch. bitch. Wow, that was awful. <laughs> Well, we didn't rehearse it, so yeah, no. <laughs> I'm gonna give uh, us some. I'm gonna give us. There's some a reason there. why we're on a podcast and not the OC. <laughs> but yeah, Chris Chris Carmack, who plays Luke Ward, getting one of the most iconic lines of popular culture. It, it actually got an award as it was named one of the top 100 TV lines of all time uh, by wow. TV Land, which is amazing. Whoa. Um, but yeah, it's, it, and for our LA listeners, if you're driving down the five or the four Oh five, when you cross into orange County, it says that on the sign. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it says, uh, from, from mayor of, uh, from mayor of orange County, welcome to the OC pitch <laughs> <laughs> sponsored um, by the American Legion. After that, the aftermath of that fight, um, Ryan gets Seth home. Um, Seth is talking about how they definitely could have taken them if he also knew how to fight. Um, which was very apparent he doesn't. But as Seth passes out, we get another scene and we get a little bit more of an idea of who Marissa really is and who her friends are to her as they just sort of leave her passed out on a door on her doorstep. Yeah, yeah. we very much peel away from the idea at the start of their driveway interaction that she's not just the girl next door. This is someone who's clearly uh, troubled and struggling and... Yeah, unfortunately, she associates with some pretty terrible people who just leave her passed out. Summer makes the lamest attempt to find her car keys or mm-hmm. house keys and just says, bye, Coop, and leaves her in the driveway. They also, there were some unsavory words that they said 
about Marissa as well that, you know, don't go to be repeated. God, high school sucks. <laughs> high school sucks. High schoolers are the worst. They're also beat. They call you a suck ass. Guys, <laughs> high school is like the worst time of our lives. <laughs> but the morning after the aftermath of the fight, uh, Kirsten wants Ryan out because Seth is drunk. Ryan has to explain to Seth that he's got to go. And Sandy drops Seth off to an empty home. Um, to which there's a letter written by his mom saying that she couldn't do any it anymore and she's just gone. Um, and really, that's how the episode ends for the most part. Yeah. It ends on such a brilliant piece of storytelling because the last person we see is Sandy Cohen in the foot of the doorway, mm-hmm. closing the door, literally closing the door <laughs> on a chapter of Ryan Atwood's life. Like, if you thought that the music cue of Here We Come, as he calls Sandy, was heavy-handed, we literally close a door on a chapter. Just absolutely smashing metaphors in your stupid face. Oh my god! But, but that's what makes this such a good pilot. Like, if we talk about what makes this effective as a sale is that you have a show where in like 42-ish minutes you establish a world that you're going to be in. You establish a main POV of a character and how everyone else perceives them. You learn about the interconnections between them. And in it, you also have like a self-sustaining story that has like a start, middle, and end. And it's a phenomenally written pilot by Josh Schwartz. All the credit in the world to Josh Schwartz. Um, you know, we talked about a lot of things that we really loved, but were there any things that we missed that we just didn't talk about? Like one of the things that sticks out to me, I could talk all day about some of the fashion that we were seeing in this, in this show. We, we talked a little bit about puka shell necklaces. Max is modeling one for us right now uh, but yeah, i know podcasts are a very visual uh media but Tune i am on in YouTube. fact wearing i have in fact wearing a puka shell necklace for this recording it, it definitely just it did take me back i was very surprised not to see a von dutch hats might have been a little bit after this but i was fully expecting mm. someone to walk in with a von dutch hat um there were so many low-rise jeans there were so many outfits that just didn't make sense the sweatsuits the juicy sweatsuits mm-hmm. that were everywhere oh god the pink sweatsuits that was uh that was so great um uh that was uh mrs cooper that was uh that was wearing that rocking that pink sweatsuit that was incredible yeah, julie cooper baby um <laughs> i i think we need to bring back the trend of boys and little necklaces we we need we need some fancy boys <laughs> driving driving yeah. open door jeeps and with and little and little necklaces. Do you guys have a theory why Ryan was wearing just a leather necklace, ra- ra- leather choker rather than a puka shell necklace? Because it's what oh, you do in Chino, baby. Welcome to Chino, bitch. Because all of the like, you know, jackasses in Orange County are wearing the puka shells. That's how you identify the villains from the heroes in our story. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, you need a very it's it's red versus blue uniforms. You got to find some identifier. But, but no, Jeff, I have no wait-a-minute moments this week. This is a perfect pilot. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I have a note, because I want you guys to dig in uh, to Rich's Game of the Week. Do the hustle. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, going back to uh, our 
episode last week, we paid a little nod to our friend J.W. Crump's uh, Faker's Dozen, and I uh, essentially found a... I went through the IMDb for the entirety of the OC and read through every single character's name, every credited character's name throughout the entirety of the show. And I found several uh, names that are hysterical. Um, (laughs) And I want you guys to try to pick out from this list which is the fake one. Uh, So for our people listening at home, we have Ham Guy, Chili, Porn Star, Punk Number One, Sydney the Hooker, Ugly Lifeguard, Pixie, The Huge Bartender, Crowbar Kid, Big Korea, George Lucas, Impossibly Hot Fireman, and Keg Bro. And uh, Jeff Kervis and Max Singer. Uh, Jeff, you normally go first, and, and you're doing pretty well in, this, in these games so far, so I'm going to let Max pick which one he thinks is the fake one. All right. There are some here that I can eliminate just having watched the entirety of this series. Yeah, this series. seems heavily weighted towards Max, so I'm wishing myself luck as the underdog. All right, so we're just going to do a little bit of deductive reasoning. I know that Kegbro is the guy who I mentioned earlier in sure. this episode oh, yeah. who says, uh, fresh keg, everybody get naked. Um, I do know that George Lucas plays himself in a later Excuse episode. Me. He is. He makes a cameo, and I don't, I for someone who's only watch the pilot i can't possibly reason why i will never give you the context for it (laughs) um gosh okay i am going to say that the fake one is impossibly hot fireman (laughs) jeff what you got so as much as i want to say big korea i don't give that show (laughs) this show that much credit um i am going to say that oh my god this is so hard there's so many wonderful ones um i'm going to say that the huge bartender followed closely by sydney the hooker uh are my guesses <laughs> uh i'm gonna i'm gonna uh slap a big old goose egg on both of you guys because both oh, of those no. all three of those are real characters uh the one that is fake is ugly lifeguard <laughs> Oh, damn. That seemed too good. It seemed too realistic, especially with the huge bartender. No, uh, Rich is right. It's it's Newport Beach. There wouldn't be any ugly lifeguards. That's right. It was a trick. <laughs> I tricked you both. So let's talk a little bit about what this show, what happened because of this show. Um, Max talked about how the show premiered in 2003. Um, but the show had four seasons, 92 episodes total. Awesome stuff. Really something to be proud of. But it didn't end as well as it started. Now, the peak of the first season was 12 million viewers. Really something to be proud of in primetime television. That's not real. Um, It was, as our special guest said, it was responsible for Laguna Beach, but it also gave the folks at ABC the confidence to do Desperate Housewives. What? The revival of uh, the primetime soap opera. Um, even with all of that, after the first season, it sort of started to go a little bit downhill. And by season four, um, all of the cast said that the writing was on the wall and Mm. that should be the last season. Max, any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, so Fox cancels this going into season four after just diminishing returns with viewership after every single season. So the the final season, there is no cliffhanger. It is 16 neat episodes. Um, that being said, that means that the first three seasons are 76 episodes. These seasons are so long. So much happens. Uh, if you think you know where a season is going, you don't. It's like four <laughs> seasons of regular TV nowadays. Um, I also think it's a good indicator of why we don't do 28-episode seasons anymore. You just run out of story at a certain point. Nah, come on. Um, There's a million stories yeah. out there. But, yeah, I mean, obviously the impact of this show with uh, indie rock and its soundtracks, uh, if you do go ahead and watch, they do a hilarious thing in season two where they just open up a rock club in town and popular bands will literally play two or three songs almost uninterrupted what? on there. You see full mini concerts. It's delightful. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I'd be remiss to not mention the legacy of our creator, Josh Schwartz himself. Uh, he leaves the show in good hands for season three. It takes a bunch of his writing staff to go do Gossip Girl at WB. Oh. Uh, for people who are NBC heads, uh, as we know uh, the head of NBC is, uh, he goes on to do Chuck for them as well. So there's That's plenty amazing. of Josh Schwartz. Oh, uh, I'm sure we're going to come back to him at some point in this show. Uh, but in the meantime, y'all have ninety-one more episodes of the OC to watch. Yeah, know? we're we're gonna be busy. And 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 uh, to borrow a quote from Frank Ocean, uh, this guy really knows super rich kids with nothing but fake friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> a couple of other notes with the cancellation. There was actually a really weird thing that happened. Fox did their own save campaign they did a campaign called save the oc on their website no Whoa. you can't start your own save campaign it's like giving yourself a nickname it never works so, but they got <laughs> seven hundred forty thousand signatures they were basically um, asking for bribes well no what i think they were doing is they were trying to so uh, supposedly they were trying to sell the show to cw um and oh. my guess is the seven hundred forty thousand signatures were to show cw that there was interest in the show uh, the show ended up being on syndicated on Soapnet, then Pop, then CW The Seed, and now you can find it on HBO Max. Um, for now, <laughs> so true for now. Um, so, but also Hulu. I watched it on Hulu. Oh well, that's a great place to watch it as well. So make sure to find it on Hulu or <laughs> Hulu. HBO Max. Currently not being threatened with going under or being bought bought by someone else at the moment. So I do want to ask two questions to you both could this pilot be made today and do you plan on watching more of the oc oh i think it could i think it still could be made today it has despite being incredible 2003 energy and almost timeless feel about it um you know there's some jokes you have to update some cell phone technology you have to update but i think that this sort of fish out of water story is always going to have legs to it and I, I certainly think that a version of this show or of this pilot itself could be made today. No questions asked. Yeah, 100%. I, I think if, if you just update it just a little bit, I think we're ready to go. Um, this is, I'm, I'm 100% watching this more. I think, uh, I think this exact storyline can do really well. And especially at a time where, you know, there's 150 channels and streaming networks. You don't need that many people to glom onto a show for it to have for it to have legs. And I think it would probably benefit from the current structure of like 10 to 15 episode seasons, and then you're golden. Then Do you, you don't run out of story matter. Peter Gallagher, that this is the story we need at this point in time <laughs> <laughs> in this post 9/11 world. Yes, I do. 
So I will agree with you both. I think this show could absolutely be made today. I could mm-hmm. see it on a number of different networks or streaming services for sure. Um, not only would I continue watching this show, as soon as I finished the pilot, I watched episode two yeah. and episode three. <laughs> and my wife, oh, is, show rules. my wife is now watching it without me and I'm very upset. <laughs> Is it, you took a break to uh, you took a break from episode four just to go uh, record this podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely. Impressed. I've been stabbed in the back. Um, <laughs> so you know, with all that said, I'd love to hear where we can find you, gentlemen, outside of the podcast. Uh, first off, go ahead and stream The Kid Detective starring Adam Brody. It's one of my favorite indies of the last couple of years. Absolutely <laughs> worth the watch. Uh, you can find me on all things social media at Maxwell Singh. Uh, you can find original comedy from myself and Rich on TikTok at Dadwagon Comedy. That's right. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Damn That's Rich. And make sure to follow the pod, too. Yeah, and you can find me at RunJeffRun on Instagram and Twitter. You can find the podcast at TV Pilots License on all major social media apps, including our YouTube page, including Spotify and Apple Music and wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, find us, five stars, subscribe, do it. Yeah, make sure to rate and review, share with your friends, and we hope to see you again. And remember... California, California, here we come!